Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about racist math with my friend Vienno. Finally. Finally, we're getting onto this topic. How are you, Vienno? <laughs> I'm okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not much going on lately. Nothing super fun or exciting. Got some dark chocolate soy milk, so we'll see how that agrees with me as the episode goes on. Uh, how are you? Not gonna lie, dark chocolate soy milk sounds kind of gross to me. <laughs> it's pretty tasty. It's I'm, pretty I'm, tasty. It is? Okay. Yeah. Because I'm a fan of soy milk. Like, I, I don't have any knocks against soy milk. It's just something about the dark chocolate combo that just seems weird to me, but... I think it's just... Interesting. Because, like, sweet soy milk, I feel like would be hell. Whereas dark chocolate, they can get away with it being still kind of, like, bitter. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind a, a, a sweet soy milk, though. It can, be, it can be good sometimes. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. I will say I just did an interview with Connor, who is the progressive American. Eventually, that interview is going to be up on YouTube or their podcast or something. And when that comes out, we'll promote it. But for now, uh, it's just up on his Twitch, and you can go uh, find his Twitch channel at The Progressive American. So uh, go search that out. It was a a decent interview. We mostly talked about uh, why I decided to do this podcast, and then also on uh, indigenous issues in this country, in particular with the residential schools and the ongoing media coverage of it that that is like uh, happening right now even though obviously this is something that we should be talking about not only just in crisis times you know (laughs) but uh yeah so it was it was a pretty good conversation so if you uh want to check that out you can go to uh, his channel to find that and when it's released on youtube or whatever i will share that as well i'm also just happy because we're, we're fully vaxxed in this house now, and for the first time since March of 2020, I am home alone. The kids went to their cousins with my wife, and they're staying overnight there because everyone's vaccinated. Except for the uh, my kids, but everyone's vaccinated. <laughs> and so I have this whole house to myself, and I have to say... It is lovely. Yeah, I can't imagine. Oh my god. That's like a year and a half. Yeah. Where, like, I've... There was only been, like, one time in that entire stretch where I feel like Rachel took the kids out to go do something. Uh, But then, like, they came back that day. But this is the first time where it's going to feel like two full days of them just not being around. Which, you know, love the wife, love the kids, but... It's nice just having a little space without having to uh, listen to screaming, crying, and all that fun stuff. So uh, it's also nice because I think next weekend we're going to be dropping off the the kids with the in-laws, and it's going to be the first time that Rachel and I get to be alone together <laughs> since <laughs> since probably February of uh, of of twenty twenty, which is wild, wild. God. But I'm I'm loving it. Get your vaccine. Get it. Woo-hoo. It's wonderful. <laughs> Get vaxxed. Uh, don't march th- through the downtown of your local city uh, singing, we're yeah. not going to take it. 
because that's what I saw today. I am going to take it. I'm going to take that vaccine. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it a third time. I am going to take like, it. Come on. Yes, I am going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I saw them too. They were waving a friggin' Trump flag. What What clowns? I mean, the, the province is opened up too. Like, what are you doing? We're against lockdowns. Well, good thing we're not in lockdown anymore. <laughs> and I guess with that, we'll just get right into it. This is the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from July 12th to July 16th. Ezra talks with Joel Pollack about the recent protests in Cuba. They claim that the protest is anti-communist and suggest that the mainstream media narrative that this is about COVID mismanagement is in fact not true. Both of them complain that Biden is not doing enough and suggest that he should take advantage of the situation but don't really explain what that would entail. They mentioned that Biden is taking Sundays off because he is sleepy and contrast this with Trump, who apparently never took a break except for an occasional game of golf. They don't mention that Biden is a Catholic and that Trump played more golf than most presidents. Supreme ultra left-wing activist extraordinaire, Janine Yunus, who works for Koch-funded libertarian think tanks, is back to criticize public transport. Apparently, France is instituting a vaccine passport for public transit, and Janine refers to this as left-wing authoritarianism. Known left-wing authoritarian, Emmanuel Macron. Ezra claims that the COVID restriction enforcement is getting more extreme as the lockdowns are winding down. But for Ezra, these lockdowns should not be winding down since they were supposed to last forever. Ezra says that strip clubs are opening up while schools continue to be closed. Given that it is summer, and schools would be closed anyway, this feels like an attempt at using the demonization of sex workers to somehow claim that the government is putting sex workers ahead of your kids. It is also worth noting that strip clubs will require masks and vaccines whereas children are not yet able to be vaccinated. Ezra mentions this and almost implies that Dr. Fauci has failed at getting kids vaccinated, even though it was Ezra's view only months before that even studying vaccines on kids is morally reprehensible. However, Ezra's main point is that kids don't die from COVID anyway, but this ignores the fact that some kids still get hospitalized and infected kids are showing signs of gray matter damage, which may have long-term implications for their health. Ezra argues that, Hey, I got a question for you about vaccine passports. If vaccines work, why do you need one? Because everyone who wants one has got a vaccine. If vaccines don't work, why do you need one? Because they don't work in any event. I put it to you that vaccine passports make no logical sense in terms of dealing with an illness or a pandemic, which, by the way, is subsiding. It's not clear what Ezra is saying here, but it is likely he is claiming that 
people who have been vaccinated don't need to worry about those who haven't been. However, unvaccinated people continue to be reservoirs for the virus where mutations could develop that render the vaccines ineffective. Vaccine passports might help to lower the rate at which unvaccinated people spread the disease and may even encourage them to get vaccinated. Ezra is mad that businesses are implementing their own vaccine policies, but Ezra doesn't seem to be mad about McDonald's no shirt, no shoes, no service policy. Andrew Lawton praises how America has handled the pandemic because they went with an acquired immunity strategy rather than a vaccine strategy. Well, Canada's Canada's disregard for acquired immunity is quite something. Acquired immunity is one of the reasons that United States jurisdictions were able to reopen as vastly and successfully as they have because they realized that there are multiple paths to immunity. One is a vaccine, one is acquired immunity, and, and so on. This ignores the fact that the vaccines give a more robust immunity than those who have been previously infected. Ezra asks, Just imagine if someone said to you, hey, do you have AIDS? Hey, do you have an AIDS vaccine? Like, I'm really worried. We would say, what are you saying? Who the hell are you? Just mind your own... Like, if someone started saying that, we would all get the creeps. They think that asking for this info is some kind of invasion of privacy. But insurance policies ask for this info. And Ezra never seemed to care about that before. It is also against the law not to disclose things like STDs to people. You can also simply choose not to go to the concert if you don't want to be asked about your vaccine status. Also, 600,000 people died in the United States. What? That's an acquired immunity (laughs) strategy? Shush, 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 shush. (laughs) How dare you bring up facts? Ezra thinks the leader of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, is secretly a communist, based on some early affiliations during college. However, not only is she a secret communist, she is also apparently sharing NATO secrets with the Chinese government. Is there evidence for this? No. But Ezra is not just mad that she is a secret communist who trades NATO secrets to China. She also said that if you want to avoid COVID misinfo in New Zealand, you can visit the government's website to get the facts. That's right. Ezra is mad that a government would have a website with COVID information on it. How horrifying. Apparently, Trudeau loves Cuba. And Ezra is mad he doesn't also love the fascist governments of Hungary and Brazil. Although Ezra is adamant that they are totally not fascist, no matter what anyone tells you. Guest, Spencer Fernando, then makes the brilliant argument that Marxism is about moralizing and claims that Marxists are tearing up the foundations of Canada. Fuck yeah. However, (laughs) Spencer never stops to consider that maybe Canada is worth being torn apart. Ezra then praises singer Pitbull because he cares a lot about Cuban freedom, apparently. Ezra doesn't really reflect on the content of what Pitbull says, But Ezra just really appreciates that Pitbull says freedom. A lot. We need to get creative. We need to figure out solutions while they're losing their lives over there literally for something that we wake up every day and appreciate, which is freedom. So to everybody out there, stand up, step up, and if you don't understand, get with the motherfucking program and wake up. Because this is about freedom and it's about human rights. And to everybody in Cuba, keep the fight up. Para todos los cubanos que están allá afuera y todo lo que está pasando en Cuba ahora mismo. Listen, it, he doesn't have a lot of specifics there, 
But I like the fact that he's saying freedom more than you hear often in showbiz. Jen Psaki, during a press briefing, references a study that showed that most vaccine misinfo online comes from 12 sources. A Fox News reporter then asks Psaki about why the Biden administration is spying on these 12 sources. This is a common talking point amongst the far right, that the government looking at online content freely accessible to everyone is somehow spying. We saw Ezra play the same game when he claimed the Canadian and American government was spying on him a few months ago. It is worth mentioning, though, that in this case, the research into these 12 sources of COVID misinfo happened back in March and had nothing to do with the Biden government. And that is the week. This is probably going to be a, a super short episode, but the main thing that I wanted to talk about has to do with critical race theory. And I, I want to cover this in part because on our, our YouTube channel, which I recommend everyone go subscribe to that, we've been hosting and posting clips uh, that we've done from our Twitch streams involving James Lindsay, who's one of the main figures that is currently promoting the critical race theory is bad uh, theory. <laughs> I guess sure. the critical race theory is bad theory. <laughs> yeah. And he's been working with Christian uh, nationalists to do this and, and peddling this. And so we always knew that uh, Ezra was kind of already on the periphery of similar discussions in that Basically, what what James Lindsay and people like Christopher Rufo, who is also one of the prominent people against critical race theory, uh, their main thing is they just don't like the fact that race is being taught or that racism is being discussed in schools, which has absolutely nothing to do with critical race theory, which is a legal theory that is often taught in university. It is interesting that now critical race theory in the past few months has sort of like... Uh, Search terms have increased, like there's a lot of traffic being drawn to critical race theory stories. And so finally, Ezra is going to talk about a story that he thinks fits into the Canadian context, which is his, his version of the critical race theory panic about us teaching, I don't know, teaching about racism in schools in Canada. It is worth mentioning that in the American context, I just want to bring to it the attention, the reason why we've discussed it on the streams and and why I think it's an important fight is because currently in America, a lot of states are passing bills right now that are blocking the teaching of certain social sciences. And it's kind of horrifying, especially coming from the groups of people who claim that cancel culture has gone too far, that now they're lobbying their local municipal and state governments to stop teaching a particular uh, legal theory that's only taught in universities but by extension they're not just blocking the teaching of that they're blocking the teaching of everything that has to do with race at all including martin luther king's i have a dream speech which the irony is a lot of the proponents of critical race theory claim that we shouldn't teach critical race theory or by extension anything that discusses race because we should be are talking to people based on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. But what this misses is that, of course, uh, you know, racial disparities still exist even if you uh, don't talk about race. <laughs> uh, but also, since they use Martin Luther King all the time to justify why critical race theory is bad, 
although that's a terrible argument. The irony is, it, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech is now being banned in classrooms across America. Now, in our context, Ezra wants to talk about a story that involves... I mean, it's, it feels like such a manufactured story, because I'm not even sure how this came to his attention. But apparently, there is a document that was written within the Ontario school system. And the paper, to me, feels like a pedagogy paper. Like, it's supposed to be a resource, or not even a resource, but might even be a research paper on outcomes of student learning. And sort of like trying to help educators with what is the best way to go forward to make sure that you can improve the learning environment in your classrooms. And in this particular case, it had to do with uh, improving diversity uh, within math classrooms. And so Ezra really, really wants to focus on this as if it's a bad thing. And he starts off by not immediately addressing the paper, but instead listing off the winners of some Canadian math competition. And he focuses on the fact that the names of the people in the math camp competition are all Asian names. Hey, can I show you something? This is Canada's national team in the math Olympics. That's a thing. Smart kids. Thomas Guo from Markham. Michael Lee from Toronto, Eric Shen from Toronto, Zi Xiang Zhou from London, Ontario, David Tang from Toronto, and Edgar Wang from Westmount, Quebec. Here's a team that was specifically for girls to encourage young women to go into math. This is their team. It's more diverse. Anna Krokine, and then Elaine Liu, Jennifer Wang, and Emily Zhou. Now, I've checked other years for this same team. The demographics are about the same. Can I say it? it? It's mainly Chinese kids. I mean, that's just a fact. Why? He wants to play uh, these Asian students off as this like model minority and contrast them against other race groups that aren't doing too well, which is itself a racist trope and... Uh, not a cool thing to get into. I mean, there are, there are sociological reasons reasons why uh, Asians might be doing better uh, at math, and those are interesting things to learn about. But it's weird because like he's trying to play it off as like somehow Asians are just better than these other minorities, which itself, or not just minorities, but other immigrants, which is itself uh, very racist. He then starts getting into some weird ideas. So he says that math is a true meritocracy because there's nothing subjective about it. My point is math isn't just not racist. Math is anti-racist. Math, math is where you can go for a refuge from racism because math doesn't care if you're black or white or Asian or Jewish or Gentile or whatever. It is a meritocracy. It, it is interesting too because this comes immediately after talking about how Asians somehow try harder, where it's like that is particularly showing some subject, subjective difference between uh, uh, like social uh, learning environments, possibly, even if you were to like you were to take him seriously, there could be other social factors involved here, right? But the idea is there's something about 
Asians and how they're taught, uh, they, they try harder. Therefore, it's like automatically you could see it's like they're dedicating resources, other things to this thing. So how is this a true meritocracy? <laughs> because it's like even though like if you want to say numbers themselves are objective or math is objective, the learning environments themselves are still subjective. And even Ezra is talking about them as if they're subjective. So it's weird, like you could tell there's this tension where he's conflating even in himself, this difference between the learning environments and like the outcomes of math themselves, which according to Ezra are objective. And I wanna like just frame here, we don't have to get into it, but like there's a long history about to what extent math is objective or not in the philosophy of math. And I lean towards them not being objective, but it's kind of a, a pointless argument. I think the best argument uh, against uh, math as being objective is like, where are numbers? <laughs> we made them up. <laughs> yeah. No. There's it, no number tree. <laughs> we don't pick if, the numbers off the tree. <laughs> if it involves humans, it's not going to be objective. <laughs> like. I will admit, though. Uh, as someone who existed in philosophy departments, uh, my position on math not being objective can be a controversial position. A lot of people think that math are real objects and like other stuff. And I will say it's a debatable thing. It's just amazing because Ezra here is taking it for uh, granted that it just is objective. And if you doubt that it's objective, like you're, you're ridiculous. Okay. And there, there are people who disagree with him on that. Pretty smart people, in fact. The other thing Ezra then wants to say is that math is anti-racist because it doesn't care about your race. And there's an argument here in which I agree with him because, yeah, numbers are numbers. They're, they're, they're just these things. It's an abstract that we use. And yeah, since math is inert and doesn't have a brain, uh, it, it can't think, let alone care about anything like your race. <laughs> But as you notice, there, there is a gap here between the numbers themselves, the objects or uh, constructions that we play with that are numbers, are like they might be mind or, or they might be uh, uh, lacking caring about race, but we care about race and therefore human beings involved in a classroom setting or a learning environment might still hold uh, racist assumptions or implicit biases that could infect the learning class, the environment, the classroom, right? <laughs> or society at large to shape uh, how people come to be interested in certain topics and whatnot. Wrong. Learning is objective. So then Ezra finally gets to the report. And it's for Ontario schools. And he describes the report as saying math is racist. So he's mad at this report because it's like, math can't be racist. It's anti-racist. And part of the paper's argument that math is racist is that it focuses too much on getting the right answer and not the path uh, to get there. And the paper discusses how other minority groups, including LGBT students, do poorly in math. And it's important to understand why this disparity exists. The paper doesn't get to why this disparity exists. It just acknowledges that there is a disparity. So there's reasons to look into this. And Ezra's response to this factual statement about a disparity in learning outcomes uh, is to just laugh as, as if he's like, ha ha, 
ah, like, like math cares if you're LGBT or not, which is ex like nothing to do with what the paper said. You know you're in trouble when the world, word algebra appears just once, but the phrase human rights appears five times. I counted. Human rights, equity, and inclusive education in mathematics research indicates that there are groups of students, for example, indigenous students, black students, students experiencing homelessness, students living in poverty, students with LGBTQ plus identities, students with special education needs and disabilities who continue to experience systematic barriers to accessing high level instruction in and support with learning mathematics. Let me just stop for a moment. Are they saying, are they saying that gay people are bad at math? Where did that come from? And why are we even talking about this? It's amazing because like that's the response to most of this. It's just amazing how oblivious Ezra is to this layer. Like he's reading the paper. So me as the audience listening to his podcast, I can hear what the paper's saying and his response to it just completely misses the point. And it's amazing how unaware he is that this is happening. So for example, Ezra is mad that this paper only focuses on inclusive classrooms in algebra lessons, and they don't talk about math. And Ezra talks about this as if we aren't actually teaching students math. And I, I have to say to you, Ezra, look, the document is more meta. It's about the learning environment. The paper is for like high school teachers. So you don't need to teach a high school teacher in a document what math is. If they're teaching math at a high school level, they probably already know what math is. So what is more pertinent to the teacher? Teaching them about math or maybe teaching them how to improve the learning environment such that every single student in your classroom is getting the same opportunities to learn. What's work like what's more important for a teacher to get from this paper? Or or like it's almost like Ezra expects that the document should be written such that it's teaching people, teaching these teachers <laughs> how to do algebra. So that they could then like, I don't know, teach their students the algebra that they've been taught from this paper or something. The government needs to publish papers that go over the heads of whatever the fuck they did in those teachers did in university or teachers college or anything like yeah. that uh and it needs to be updated every year and they need to read it and be like ah these are the new numbers we need to teach yeah <laughs> this year we're finally allowed to talk about seven like yeah <laughs> every every year they introduce a new number yeah. This is 132. Oh! <laughs> We're finally allowed to take the tape off of our sign button. Whoa. So then uh, this is like the most heated Ezra gets in this whole uh, segment. Put aside all the BS language for a moment. This is where it gets real. Look at this. An equitable mathematics curriculum recognizes that mathematics can be subjective. Mathematics is often positioned as an objective and pure discipline. However, the content and the context in which it is taught, the mathematicians who are celebrated, and the importance that is placed upon mathematics by society are subjective. Mathematics has been used to normalize racism and marginalization of non-Eurocentric mathematical knowledges. And a decolonial anti-racist approach to mathematics education makes visible its historical roots and social constructions 
The Ontario Grade 9 Mathematics Curriculum emphasizes the need to recognize and challenge systems of power and privilege, both inside and outside the classroom, in order to eliminate system systemic barriers and to serve students belonging to groups that have been historically disadvantaged and underserved in mathematics education. But they said math is subjective. That is not correct. Two plus two is not five. There's no wiggle room. The paper says that math can be subjective in that even though it is taught as purely objective, the context in which it is taught is not objective. And Ezra's response to this is, but two plus two does not equal five. <laughs> uh, yes, it does. <laughs> and it's amazing because it's like clearly like he reads the sentence right out of the paper that is clearly not talking about whether two plus two equals four is objective or not. The paper is clearly talking about the learning environment, the context in which it is taught. And yet Ezra still thinks that what this paper is trying to say is that two plus two equals four is racist, which is not at all what this paper is saying. <laughs> Two plus two equals five because numbers are an abstraction and don't actually exist. Ezra then says this appeal to subjectivity is the result of anti-Asian bigotry. I don't know why they're doing this. One answer, for real, is anti-Asian anti racism. Stop the kids who keep getting the right answers from winning all the time. I really think there's a lot of anti-Asian racism involved. And I want to point out that this is weird because his argument is that math can't be racist. And yet here he is describing how the social context surrounding math can lead to racial prejudices against Asian people, which is precisely the kind of argument made in the paper he is trying to critique. <laughs> the only difference is that Ezra is talking out of his ass about a prejudice that I would argue doesn't exist in this context. Because his, his assumption of the prejudice that Asian people are facing is that, uh, I guess, high school teachers just don't like Asian people and don't want them to learn about math. And so they want to make everyone else better at math or something. I don't know. But the other disparities that the paper highlights are very real and I think worth discussing. Like, like great. I'm like, it's good that uh, certain demographics are good at math. But wouldn't it be nice if every demographic was also good at math and that we weren't letting how we organize our classrooms uh, affect the learning outcomes of that classroom, you know? Yeah. Why? Like, I can't imagine why this is such a bad issue. Like, it almost feels like a desperate attempt to cling to this critical race theory shit, you know? But it's so embarrassing. How dare the government of Douglas Ford try to invade our classrooms and put critical race theory into our mathematics and like i don't know do make math good how dare they <laughs> that is <laughs> critical race theory and it is anti-white and um i can't think of other like bullshit things to say honestly I'm not really that invested in this joke Anti-Asian, apparently. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> like, what, what world does he exist in? 
it's making other people better at math somehow disparages Asians because they're already good at math, according to him. Like, it's such a weird argument. Yeah. I will say, though, too, like, this isn't coming from the Ford administration. This is largely, like, uh, it's not even coming, I think, from the school boards. This is coming through, like, pedagogy research that, I guess, gets shared within the uh, teaching community kind of thing. It's not even, like, institutionally mandated or anything. It's literally just like, oh, wow, somebody wrote a research paper. Time to get mad about it. Well, how do you mandate something like this? Like, often what happens is you get a lot of people that write, like, these uh, papers on pedagogy about, like, hey, we found that there's this disparity here. Here's some things that might help uh, improve how a teacher might interact with students in order so that you don't, like perpetuate uh racial biases even implicit ones that you might not know that you're doing right and there's tons of these papers and it's up it's up for grab to what extent they're effective or not and like that that is an interesting uh question that could be researched in study but i don't think it's harming anything either right like i like i'm not even sure how that would harm anything if you're pointing out like look there seems to be a disparity here maybe these are a few things that you can change in your teaching that could improve the outcome it's just like even more bullshit than I thought it was, is basically what we're saying now. <laughs> yes. Yes. <sighs> Ezra then says uh, anyone who wants to build a bridge under this new curriculum should be stopped. Hey, can you do me a favor? If any graduate from this curriculum wants to design a bridge or a high rise, can you stop them? Stay with us for a moment. Because, like, to him, we're somehow teaching kids that math is not objective now, that 2 plus 2 does not equal 4, which, again, that's not at all what is being taught in this paper. And I have to reflect, like, we just had the collapse of that building in Miami where over 100 people died in this collapsed building. And I don't think that this person or the people involved in assessing the structural integrity of the building and to what extent they should have removed the people because there was uh, warnings ahead of time and other stuff. I don't think these people were in school back in the woke days of 1970, 1980, right? <laughs> or that is when they were in school and it wasn't woke is the, is the point I'm trying to make here. And sure. It, it is a perfect distillation here of, of like having a math degree doesn't make you a good and moral person. And it's almost like there is a, is a context in which we use math that matters. It's like, okay, you might have a degree such that you know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And therefore, you can construct a bridge using your fancy mathematics. But then if you... If you enter the workforce and you decide to cut corners and you should have condemned a building but instead you were like ah it'll be fine and the building collapsed and killed 150 people what is like the context still matters we should teach uh, engineers to be moral agents as well right like <laughs> but apparently all you need to do to teach engineers is that two plus two equals four and everything else will just sort itself out you know it really is like such a huge issue in like engineering and like the I guess hard sciences or whatever the fuck you want to call it where it's like you know they think that they are quote-unquote rational and they think that they are quote-unquote like smart and intelligent and blah 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 and so therefore they're good at anything and that's how you get people like James fucking Lindsay 
where it's like, I have a PhD in math. I know everything about everything, and therefore I'm good to talk about Hegel all the time or whatever bullshit. Like, they think that just because they can do some numbers without a calculator or with a calculator, then, like, suddenly they're good at everything and know things and are, like, not just intelligent, but also, like, somehow correct about whatever bullshit they decide to, like, say. Yeah, exactly. I almost forgot that James Lindsay was a math PhD. (laughs) Yeah. No, like, I didn't remember until I had already started speaking because I was trying to think of a famous dickhead mathematician. Yeah. (laughs) And not to disparage all engineers either. I will say, uh, Dirk Prout, patron of the show, candidate for London North Centre, NDP, (laughs) engineer, very fantastic person. I think she's good in spite of her engineering. That's the difference. Correct. <laughs> she's possibly a good engineer, but to be honest, I don't know much of her engineering. I, well, I don't have enough expertise to know to what extent she does good engineering. So, All engineers are bastards. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. E-gab. Electronic gab. The only other story I want to touch on, and this is going to be super fast, is that... Ezra claims he was convicted again for the lawn signs and the release of a book during an election with the purpose of releasing it during the election. So he says he was convicted again. And I'm like, that sounds a bit weird, but okay. He then focuses on one section of this new conviction that mentions the release of the book to coincide with the election. So he is aware now, like he reads it specifically and focuses on it, that This is the particular section of the Elections Act that he violated, which is that you cannot release a book purposefully to coincide with an election. You can release it, uh, like if you have a publishing deal and you plan on releasing it it anyways, and then an election just happens, and so you release the book during the election, perfectly fine. But if you go, I am planning to release the book specifically when this election starts— That is against the law if you fail to register as a third party in this country, according to the Elections Act. Okay? (laughs) So he's aware of this. He reads the thing. But then he still says that it isn't illegal what he did. (laughs) The book exemption argument. Rebel News relies on what it calls the book promotion exemption, found in the definition of election advertising in subsection 2 of the Act. The relevant portion of the provision at paragraph 2 under election advertising clarifies that for greater certainty, election advertising does not include the distribution of a book or the promotion of the sale of a book for no less than its commercial value if the book was planned to be made available to the public regardless of whether there was to be an election. It is clear from the underlying passage that the so-called book exemption applies only in relation to a book that would have been published whether or not the election was called. Okay, just stop for a moment. Um, my book costs $15, which is priced fairly. They don't quarrel with that. It meets that test. And of course I'd publish it whether or not there was an election. That's a really weird test. If there was no election, we'd have a constitutional crisis. Section 4 of our Charter of Rights requires that there be an election every five years If in some insane situation there was no election, of course I'd have published the book and probably given a much stronger title than the Libranos. 
But look at this sneaky little Trudeau weasel. Here's how he gets around that. He says, the book exemption does not apply. I am of the view that the clarification of paragraph two of the act does not apply in this case because Rebel News had planned the launch of the book to coincide with the election. Okay, hang on, but the, the law doesn't say I can't time the book to coincide with an election. Every election book is timed for the election. It wouldn't make sense to publish a book about an election a week after the election. A lot of a lot more books about Trump being published in 2020 than in 2021. These Trudeau boys are just making this up to get me. They're saying the fact that I wanted people to read my book before the election makes it an illegal book. But that's not what the law says. Dumbass. He then, <laughs> he is then reading the complaint and mentions that the RCMP looked at uh, Rebels' YouTube and social media profile. And Ezra wonders if uh, the RCMP also hacked their phones and searched their emails. But it gets weirder. The next few pages, pages six, seven, eight, nine in the letter, you can see it all at thelebranos.com, is a partial list of the things that Trudeau's police did to spy on us. They creeped our social media pages. They looked at photos published by our staff. They watched my shows. They tracked me. These are just the things they admit to. I don't know if they tapped my phone or hacked our computers or even sent a spy into our office. They certainly put a lot of manpower on this. And like I say, the two cops who grilled me were former counterterrorism Mounties as if uh, the RCMP looking at publicly available stuff is creepy. And we mentioned in the news segment, it's, it's the same thing. They always think that the RCMP didn't need to do any deep research. All the evidence that showed that Ezra was guilty was freely available on his YouTube site. We found it long before he was convicted of this crime. We pointed out how this is kind of illegal, and it turns out we were right. <laughs> <sighs> Ezra then ends, uh, oh, well, I think this is mentioned later in the week during a mailbag segment. He then says, VI writes, Ezra, I hope you have a revised edition ready in time for the next federal election. There's plenty more Trudeau wrong going to add. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on another book, a new one. I mean, it, it is a good idea to revise and update the old one, but I, I think I got a new one that's even better. I got to get it done on time, though. Oh, boy, that'll get another election complaint, won't it? Oh, my God. This dude is literally just like, like how, he is the proof that like fines don't discourage like breaking the law if you are wealthy or have access to other people's money. It's not even a huge fine. It's a $3,000 fine, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is like a $3,000 fine to me would be devastating. A $3,000 fine to him is just like, ah, it's a little bit inconvenient. Yeah. But I'm going to do it again, obviously. Well, that and he... So here's the thing. As far as I can tell, this is not a new conviction, but a failed appeal. And it strikes me as weird that he's calling it a new conviction, as if, like, they convicted him again. But I went to their website, and I'll read it. It clearly looks like a uh, an appeal. But the fact that they're appealing this constantly tells me that they're spending way more than the $3,000 to fight this thing. And then they're inevitably going to have to pay the $3,000 anyways, because my guess is they're, they're going to lose the whole way. I am still worried that their purpose, like my, my conspiracy galaxy brain take, is that they're being funded by libertarian organizations that want to remove this section of the Elections Act of Canada 
for the reason that they want to be able to freely spend whatever money they want on any books or whatever to influence elections. And so that's that's my uh, that's my conspiracy take. But I, I don't know that to be the case. And even reading this report, I think it might not be the case. Although I don't know if in the Canadian context, the lower level appeals, if you if you have to stay with that argument when you appeal it further up. And what I mean by that is reading, so there was a 14 page letter that was returned back to them for why this appeal failed. And in it, they specifically don't fight the constitutionality, sorry, the constitutionality of this section of the Elections Act, which means that they, that that's not the issue. So nothing that they can do here, I think, can overturn this sections, uh, this section of the Election Act, which is weird to me. So like, but I don't know, because it could be the case that they're going to challenge that later up the stream, like if it reaches the Supreme Court or something like this. Because they do say that they're going to appeal it again. Can they be fined for, like, wasting legal time? Yeah. <laughs> Can they have to pay, right? like, the Crown's legal fees or whatever the fuck? They should, shouldn't they? I feel like they should. Yeah. I really hope they have to. I hope they have to pay, like, the Supreme Court justices, like, whole salaries <laughs> for a year. All of them. Yeah, I wonder if this gets higher, if every subsequent appeal they have to pay a little more or something. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it works, but I don't have money, like thousands and thousands of dollars to throw around on something like this. Yeah. So this this is what their website says, which is why, like, even here the, the wording is weird. So uh, I'm going to skip a bunch of it. He basically talks about the first thing that they have. And then he goes, I'm not going to pay the $3,000 in fines. So remember, 1500 was for the lawn signs and then 1500 was for the book. So he goes, I'm not going to pay the $3,000 in fines. I'm sorry. I'm just not. I do not accept a punishment fine for writing a book criticizing Justin Trudeau. What do you think I should do? Should I pay these fines? That would be the financially smart thing to do because appealing the censorship fines will surely cost at least $30,000. Why would I spend 10 times as much to fight the fines? Because freedom, that's why. And then he goes, so our lawyers filed a seven page appeal to the original fine and now they've appealed this fine too. You can read all of our legal correspondence here and this is the most recent uh, letter. I should say, they. In the document, the website that links to this one, they say, and they convicted me again, which is they just denied his appeal. So I didn't I didn't realize that even here he admits that it's a well, like even here it says they've appealed this fine, too. I mean, it's the same fine. So they're just denying. <laughs> None of this makes any sense. They're, they're so legally inept, even though Ezra has a law degree. OK. But you can tell. So this <laughs> this response goes, this letter is in response to the request Rebel News Network addressed to me in my capacity as the Commissioner of Canada, seeking review of two notices of violation issued by the Deputy Commissioner of Canada elections on January 25th, 2021 for alleged violations in Section 352 and subsections, blah, blah, blah. In essence, at its request for review and related submissions, Rebel News asks that according to subparagraph, blah, 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 I rescind the NOVs, which is the notice of violation, and determine on a balance of probabilities that Rebel News did not contravene the act. So this is clearly the, uh, the election commissioner responding for a request uh, to appeal and denying them, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Even though they're talking about it as if it's a subsequent fee. 
I did want to read the only, the last thing that I want to read from this is mainly having to do with the book exemption because this is the thing that Ezra is constantly focusing on. In this document, they go on to point that like uh, all the evidence gathered. So it says here, uh, Rebel News launched the book on or around September 9th, 2019 and started the book promotion around the same time, continuing it during the election period. In particular, on September 9, 2019, Rebel News published on its website an article entitled How Rebel News Will Cover the Canadian Election Plus New Book, The Libranos. (laughs) (sighs) Ezra Levant states in the following article, And so I am pleased to announce to you, my friends, my new book called The Libranos. In a tweet published on Rebel News' Twitter account on September 9th, 2020, under the heading, New Book Announcement, the following is stated. At Ezra Levant explains how Rebel News will cover the Canadian election and introduces the Libranos. <laughs> hmm. In our plan for the Canadian election, posted on Rebel News' website, the following was found under my new book, The Libranos. I want to vet our Prime Minister and his and all his team, so I am pleased to announce another part of our campaign plan, my new book called The Libranos, what the media won't tell you about Justin Trudeau's corruption. And under lawn signs, it says, and I want to spread the word about the book through gorgeous lawn signs, just like we did for Sheila Gunn-Reen's book on the, on the Alberta election called Stop Notley. So it's just a list, a list of constant evidence of them promoting uh, the lawn signs for the election and promoting the book for the election, right? My favorite is this one about the lawn signs. It goes, uh, so it says, a tweet published on Rebel News Twitter account on October 3rd, 2019 stated, why not get your thelebranos.com lawn sign just in time for the election? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I sh- I just, I just hate. It's, <sighs> it's just amazing how, how blatant it is, right? So yeah, anyways, no, I'll like just I got get the, to the, <laughs> just to the conclusion of it. So the commissioner concludes, for the, uh, for these reasons, pursuant to paragraph, uh, blah, 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 the act, I've concluded on a balance of probabilities that Rebel News has contravened. Section 352 of the Act and committed a violation under the Act by failing to include on the election advertising messages it transmitted during the election period in the form of lawn signs, its phone number, its civic or internet address, and an indication that it authorized the transmission of the advertising messages. Subsection 353.1 of the Act and committed a violation under the Act by failing to register as a third party after having incurred expenses of $500 or more for election advertising messages transmitted during the election period in the form of lawn signs. Therefore, the two NOVs, uh, the Notice of Violations, issued by the Deputy Commissioner and the AMP, he imposed in the amount of $1,500 for each violations are maintained. And then it ends with instructions on payment are included in the email to which this decision is attached. <laughs> so they violated the law. You're, you're, there's no getting around that. And you have to pay $3,000. But instead, he's going to blow thousands and thousands of dollars. He claims $30,000. But if he keeps appealing this, it's going to cost him more and more and more. And for what? 
For what? For why? That's that's why my conspiracy brain is like, it has to be for another motive. Because otherwise, this is just so silly. I don't, I don't know if, like, the throwing of thousands of dollars at this lawsuit is worth it for, like, promotional purposes so that people go, oh, look, he's fighting for freedom, he's being a martyr. Like, I don't really know that, like, that is worth it. So it feels like they, they, they want it for a different reason. Because otherwise it's just so petty. Which I guess, like, at the end of the day, it's not beyond them. I mean, David Menzies posted that very petty video of him uh, about the, the bottle of scotch that the LCBO did not give him. So it's like pettiness is not beyond them. It just feels weird to be this invested in something when it's like you clearly violated the law. Go to jail. I'm an abolitionist, but go to jail. Speaking of abolition, and this time people who don't deserve to go to jail. Got that, got that transition there. Whew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, if you have spare funds, defund uh, Hamilton Police Services and the local um, Hamilton Solidarity for Palestinian Human Rights uh, are still raising money for uh, legal fees to help uh, combat a group of activists that were charged for supposedly breaking COVID rules when in Hamilton it has been effectively only, like, let's say liberatory movements that have faced uh, crackdowns and fines and threats of jail time for um, protesting during this. Uh, meanwhile, like, there is a lot of anti-mask stuff that doesn't receive any of this. So Sarah Jama, Wala El Sufi, and Hashid Mansur Ali are facing fines of up to $100,000 and one year potential jail time. Uh, and so they're trying to raise $30,000 for legal fees to fight this and get this all rescinded. Uh, currently, they're at uh, around $14,517. So they're still a little ways off. Um, so if you have some spare money, send it there. Uh, we'll post the link in the description as always. Yeah, Sarah Jama especially like does amazing work in Hamilton. Like, and this would be just devastating to activism and movements in that city. So if you, yeah, if you have spare money, please send it their way. Uh, and I was originally going to share an article, but with the math topic. Um, I'm going to share an article called The Tyranny of Time. Uh, basically, like, talking about how time is a load of bullshit and clocks are fucking stupid. <laughs> and, like, how it gets into that kind of, like, people treat time as an objective force on our lives and, you know, treat the concepts of, like, seconds, minutes, hours as, like, some scientifically decided and proven thing when they are social abstractions that we've just let dominate our lives and like it's quite notable that like when clock time was first being more concretely established and more standardized it was a major force of like 
like it was both a major force of like dispossession and like shittiness but also like the most famous example is like the communards of the paris commune shooting down all of the local clocks and just like smashing (laughs) them and destroying them because they were representative of like a overwhelming system of oppression and we've as much as we've like kind of normalized it now they remain that but yeah it's a really good article that gets into like sort of the history of clock time and the history of like standard times as well and is just like rightfully critiquing our like understandings and notions of time and it's very good and i think kind of pairs well with the math discussion as well anti-temporal action you know yeah no anti-temporal action anti-clock action (laughs) like (laughs) i want the corner of my phone to show a little thing that is representative of where the sun is in the sky because that's the only relevance that we should be assigning (laughs) to anything i don't give a shit about whatever number is it says 735 right now what the fuck does that mean nothing and speaking of uh things that are not real if you have some money and you support and enjoy what you've heard so far (laughs) (laughs) please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news if you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Again, you can uh, check out our YouTube page and please subscribe to that to, to boost our numbers. It would be nice. It costs you nothing and it helps us out. So if you can do it, please do it. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatom.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And math. You canceled. Also time. No more numbers. No No more more numbers. numbers. (laughs) Yeah. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.